Welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. If this is your first time stopping by, This is a very exciting episode. Um, Today I am doing an interview with none other than Elena from the Red Nation podcast. Uh, I was very, very excited to do this call and I uh, genuinely think that it turned out incredible. Um, I was a bit nervous, you know, Uh, it's really great meeting the awesome organizers and Uh, people that I've been able to meet through this podcast. So I'm very thankful to Elena and the Red Nation for uh, coming over and having a discussion um, on the show. It meant a lot um, calling in all the way from uh, Ogopoge. Um, It was uh, really exciting to be able to um, learn and be able to connect with Elena. So Without further ado, that is what this episode will be. Um, Please feel free to check out the Red Nation podcast and Red Media. Please also read the Red Deal, Indigenous Action to Save Our Earth. And consider also becoming a Patreon of the Red Nation because pretty soon, I'm pretty sure they are less than a few hundred away from their goal so that they can start a new show native reads which is a bunch of indigenous authors coming together to talk about other uh indigenous works um so that's going to be an incredible show and i would love to be able to uh see them be able to do that so please go over and spread a little love uh share what you can don't feel bad if you can't share much um but yeah Without further ado, here is my interview with Elena from the Red Nation uh, podcast. All right. Oh. You hear me? You hear me, my friend? 
Okay. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. So awesome to hear from you, my friend. How are you today? Good, thanks. I'm very glad to have you on. Um, would you care to maybe say hi to folks who may not know who you are, haven't heard your voice before? Sure. My name is Elena Ortiz, and I am calling in from Ogapoge, otherwise known as um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Great. So awesome to hear from you, really. Um, so we've been chatting back and forth through email for a little bit, and I, I got to say it really is um, an honor to be able to have you on the show. I've really enjoyed the Red Nation and really genuinely uh, taking taken strides and leaps in my understanding of so many things just simply by the, the conversations you folks have over on the show, um, but also all of the you know, movements and efforts that you folks are constantly involved in that you, uh, Jen Marley, Melanie Yazzie, Nick Estes, and plenty of others are constantly discussing and promoting. It's really incredible to see, you know, such an active and, and mobilized group of people who are really fighting in a way that many different organizations and groups uh, aren't plainly simple, especially the average people, um, as we, of course, know. It's been a very um, awful situation for the last few years, especially for uh, people who are already suffering from immense amounts of exploitation and oppression. Um, and I, I really wanted to start this interview by asking you genuinely, you know, how you yourself have been coping with this, how, you know, how your family has and really what is it that you have been missing out on because of the pandemic um, and, you know, really how have relationships that you've had during this time been able to be kept up? Um, it's, a, you know, maybe a different question, but I, I really would love to hear from you and check in and see how things are. It's an interesting question. I think um, people are coping with this in, in, in different ways, two different ways that I see, but there's a lot of spectrum in between. One is you just move forward um, and don't really think about it. And the other is that you think about it too much. Um, I, I have chosen the former, which is just to move forward because we don't have a choice. Um, that's kind of the way it was almost two years ago, which was, okay, this is happening. Um, let's not think about it. Let's just get through. And of course, two years ago, we thought it was going to last three months, you know, then maybe six months. And then, oh, we'll be out of this in a year. So none of us had any idea how long this was going to take, but um, I miss, I have, I have, so I've, I have two adult kids um, who are home. My daughter did her last year and a half of college online. Um, never ideal for anyone to, to miss out on their senior year in college. Um, but, you know, you do what you have to do and you get through it. I miss being really 
seeing my comrades in person. And I live up here, you know, in, in Ogopoge, which is about an hour's drive from Albuquerque. And in, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't have thought twice about driving down there to spend the day, to join a rally, to help out with the, um, the uh, No Dead Natives campaign, to just go down for a meeting, to visit with people. But these days you think twice about everything and um, they're very careful with uh, who they let into the uh, office space these days because um, people have different housing situations. Some people um, live with elderly people, some people have kids. And, you know, almost every time you go down there, you have to get a, a COVID test, which aren't that easy to come by um, in, in Santa Fe. They're easier in Albuquerque. So I find myself not spending a lot of time down there and I miss that in person. Um, just being able to, to visit with, with people and to be spontaneous and to um, enjoy each other's company. Um, we do a lot of Zoom and um, you know, chats um, through our, our mobile apps, but I miss being with people. Yeah, and that's, that's like one of the realest things that I think everyone has been desperately craving is that human connection and that, like you said, ability to be in conversation, to, uh, you know, really be able to enjoy one another's presence. It's, it's not the same through Zoom. It really isn't. And this isn't to say that, you know, we, of course, are not endorsing, oh, just, you know, who cares, just go be with people. But of course, it is difficult to say that these relationships maintain uh, the same kind of connection through the different mediums that we've had to maintain. Um, yeah. I, I had conversations with my partner and some friends uh, that I <clears throat> talk with pretty regularly. And I spoke about the fact that a majority of our relationships in general, even in some sense before the pandemic, were really maintained through text and through social media and other forms of, you know, like online connection because we were either in school or we were at work. And now that this has kind of been multiplied and intensified, it really is evident that this is uh, a desperate time for human connection in whatever way we can come by it. And so, you know, when you say that we really have to just kind of take what is and move forward, um, it, it's difficult, but we have to try to find a way to keep going forward in, in a safe and healthy manner. Like you said, people have different housing situations and you never really know who has what kind of housing situation when you're out and about at a rally or when, you know, you're going in a store or whatever. So it is, you know, incredibly important that we take the precautions that we can, but it has really had 
such a detrimental effect, at least on almost every single person I speak with. Um, depression, isolation, anxiety, you know, when you have to go to the grocery store or when you have to go to work. And for example, for me, nobody in my area really gives a shit about uh, the pandemic. They oftentimes give me a hard time at my job when I ask them to wear a mask. I've had multiple people rip signs off the wall, threaten me. I had people demand that I call the police because they weren't going to leave the premises until I did. Um, and all of this extra stress and added, uh, you know, traumatization that we're all experiencing as like human beings is, I don't think really able to be quantified in a way um, that we can really understand until time goes on. But I do think when we look at the pre-existing conditions of economic inequality, of, you know, houselessness, of uh, already, you know, huge numbers of depression, unfortunately, things like suicide, drug addiction, alcoholism, um, and abuse, all of these things, as well as their subsequent mental illnesses have been on the rise for a very long time. And it's clear that we really have to put up a front, we really have to be fighting, however we can on a day to day basis to build those relationships and build those connections. So as you know, ultimately, this is why I wanted to bring you on the show, because you had that recent episode, I believe it was titled um, traveling while indigenous with uh, <laughs> Melanie Yazzie. That was yeah. a incredible episode, and it really kind of struck a chord with what I've been thinking about in regards to relationships. So, you know the the thing that I really wanted to ask you about that episode in connection with this first question is how is it that you know in these times you feel. Um, that folks should be going about trying to make these connections, trying to in whatever safe ways they can, you know, travel to rallies and, and help with organizing. What are some ways in which you think we can approach these things? Well, we need to make connections and we need, you know, human beings are social animals and we we need to create connections and we need to create kinship in order to, you know, be, be satisfied with our lives in order to feel like we're part of a community. And for those of us who have been separated from our communities in whatever way, um, and many of us are, um, a lot of our communities um, particularly the Pueblos in New Mexico have been shut down um, and, uh, you know, nobody can get in unless you're actually a resident, resident of that community. Um, so all of the visitations that we used to do, um, all of the friends that we used to go see regularly, you know, we're not able to do. Many people are very, very careful um, because, again, because of their housing situations and they're cautious. Um, so whatever um, community we can build and, and sustain right now is really important because we need that 
um, in order to stay healthy. And, and as you mentioned, isolation, depression, um, anxiety uh, are, are all, you know, on the rise. And, and part of keeping ourselves sane is keeping those connections, uh, maintaining those connections, making new connections. And one of the ways that, that we've done it throughout the pandemic is mutual aid and um, mutual aid to when, when the pandemic first hit in the Southwest, of course, the reservations were the hardest hit, um, particularly the Navajo um, reservation because, well, for a number of reasons, but it's vast. Um, there are isolated communities. Um, it's a long distance from um, some communities to grocery stores. And um, about 30% of the folks that live there uh, don't have running water. So um, you can imagine when the first um, instructions came out, wash your hands all the time, you know, wash them for 20 minutes with soap and water and, and, uh, and, you know, wash them 15 times a day. I'm making that up. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, um, and you don't have running water in your house. So what do you do? Um, if you live two hours from a grocery store and you're used to going once a month and picking up enough to sustain your family for the next four weeks, and you drive two hours only to find that there's nothing there. What do you do? So mutual aid became really the lifeblood for a number of these communities. And we were involved in that. People couldn't find masks. So um, individuals from all over the, all over Turtle Island, many of the, the reservations, um, women, and I say women only because it seemed like it was mostly women, not that there's anything wrong with men sewing. Um, personally, I can't sew. Um, and I was really Nor grateful to the, <laughs> to the women who could, but women were sewing masks and we were getting masks. And I was, you know, these were the days when, when it was new and we really thought that um, this was going to be, you know, a few months. So I was, you know, gathering masks and, um, and we were um, getting, um, you know, uh, all of the gloves and sanitizing spray and all of the stuff that people who live in remote areas don't have access to. And, um, you know, we were giving it to other folks who had pickup trucks and were driving to, um, you know, to areas on the reservation um, and delivering supplies. Um, I remember early on um, a friend of mine who was driving to uh, see his relatives and um, I asked him what they needed, what could we get for them? And he said, dog food and cat food, that there are, um, you know, nobody thinks about the animals out there. But um, if you herd sheep or if you live on a, a farm or a ranch, you know, you have barn cats, you have sheep dogs and, um, all the, the uh, pet food at the grocery stores was consistently gone. So coming from um, a, a community of, of pet lovers, um, I put out a call to 
people to donate. And I got so, I mean, I got so much um, dog food and cat food that he had to get a friend to drive out with him because he couldn't fit it all in his truck. Um, and that was, you know, that was one way of, of keeping the uh, community sense together to, to feel like um, we were in solidarity because, you know, in the Red Nation, we have a saying solidarity, not charity. And um, it's important to feel like you can do something. Um, I live near many grocery stores. I have friends who love animals and are happy to donate whatever they can. So you do what you can and it, it feels like you're helping a community, like you're helping people. Um, and, you know, from those according to their ability and to those according to their need. And that was what we did and that's what we continue to do. And that's really laying the groundwork for that community and that kinship because, you know, in a lot of cases, as you were speaking to, there are these isolated communities that in a lot of cases, you know, really don't have ample connectivity to, as you said, things as necessary as grocery stores or running water. So in that case, we really cannot afford to go without that mutual aid in that community because as we saw especially with the the Navajo as you brought up they very early on in the pandemic you'll remember of course they requested necessary PPE and things like that as well as foodstuffs and any kind of uh, monetary aid and I believe they instead got 5,000 body bags Um, that is a clear sign that the pre-existing form of support that people have been forced into uh, dependency upon had in that moment relinquished its own responsibility to these folks. And so in that case, who else is going to help? Who else is going to be able to get food to people who plainly do not have access to these things and especially as we know in a nation where oftentimes um, these folks are not free to find their own food through hunting through fishing because of difficulties with land or simply because of pollution which has made uh, such you know practices way less sustainable they do not uh, develop anywhere near reservations so as to you know effectively starve and uh, torture these groups of people Um, and this has been practiced for generations upon generations so in the moment when the pandemic struck there were a lot of folks including the red nation who spoke clearly about the fact that this is simply yet another form of oppression that these people are going to have to suffer, that exploited and oppressed human beings are going to have to suffer. And so if in this case, the state is refusing to give the the necessary assistance, then someone, us, have to step up 
and take that role. And the subsequent developments of, you know, community and kinship and interconnectedness that come from that are so important to being able to take that from a temporary band-aid solution to a crisis to a qualitative jump of, you know, a mutual support network that in some ways or another is able to help support people consistently and therefore develops into more than just, again, a Band-Aid fix. And that is crucial because our intention here, um, for folks who don't know it, is to rid ourselves of the U.S. empire, to rid ourselves of the capitalist and imperialist state. And so in order to do that, we have to have something to replace it. Who else is going to get food to rural locations? Who's going to provide health care and, and things like vaccines if there is no centralized organ of, you know, administ- not necessarily centralized administration? I guess I didn't choose my words correctly, but some kind of avenue where these things are being passed along and, you know, allowing for people to get what they need. I like that you brought up the, the quote um, from each, uh, 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 from each of their ability to each of their needs, however it goes, excuse me. I, uh, yeah. Probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I, I think that it's crucial that in this moment, we recognize that although we may not all be able to be these incredible revolutionaries we read about in these theory books that we obsess over, but we can be serious, you know, bastions of help in our day-to-day life through simple things like you said. You have the ability to go to a grocery store that other people do not. So by taking that opportunity, you're doing something more than just going to the grocery store. But if you can't, you know, go to the grocery store, deliver it yourself, set it all up for folks. You know, if you can't do that all yourself, at the very least, you can be the one to go to the grocery store. And I think right now, I I really think that that's not something that we recognize. I uh, I had Zaccato from Bands of Turtle Island come on and, and he brought up the point. He was like, there's shit that everybody can be doing in their life right now that yeah. they're not because they don't think of it, that they yeah. don't recognize it's an opportunity, you know? Um, and that's, and there, and there are people, there were, you know, I think everyone now is, is just exhausted, but a year ago, you know, there were people who were desperate for something to do, who, who, you know, knew, recognized there was a need, but had no idea how to tap into that. And I think, Indigenous people, particularly um, the communities um, that that we that resonate with us. I mean, and Takato definitely, um, uh, you know, has has uh, ties to um, uh, Ocheri Sakoin and um, Pine Ridge, and those are communities that um, Nick Estes as well has has. Uh, uh, kin relatives there and many of those people um, recognize the need because it's not it's not a need that simply magically appeared during the pandemic 
There's mm. been need there consistently, constantly. The state has never, ever addressed the needs of Native people, not since the very beginning, um, you know, since 1492. And regardless of, of uh, you know, what treaties were written, because we all know they were written and broken, every last one of them, um, they've never cared about what happened to um, Indigenous people. So the needs that exist on the reservation were exacerbated by the pandemic, but they have always been there. And when you look at um, a reservation the size of West Virginia, which is what the Navajo reservation is, and 30% of the people there don't have running water. And then, you know, that's a problem to begin with because they have to haul water constantly in their lives. That's, that's their reality. But then you add in a, a global pandemic and, um, you know, Dr. Fauci saying, wash your hands every 20 minutes. And like, they can't do that. Um, and they live in multi-generational homes. Um, people are together, you know, in close contact. Um, when you have um, families that depend on one another for assistance with um, all of the daily activities, you know, cooking, um, butchering, sheep, um, farming, you know, they come in close contact with one another. So how do you socially distance? Um, there's all of these things that, that, um, that you can't, you can't even imagine what it's like unless you've been there. And those of us who live, my husband's Navajo, so, so I'm very familiar with the lifestyle and with, and with how people live and what the challenges are. And I think a lot of people in the Southwest are somewhat familiar with it. So it was easy to, to draw people into, hey, we need to get um, some mutual aid out to um, these remote areas. People, we had people willing to drive. We had people willing to rent trucks. We had people um, willing to help haul water. And there were organizations all over both the res, on res and off res who were helping. And it was really a beautiful thing to see. Um, these were people who saw a need and moved in and filled it. And, and if we could do that all the time, not just during a global pandemic, then we wouldn't need the state um, because the state's worthless anyway. And um, we, we wanna replace the state with, um, with what does work and we know what works, which is um, community and building community and um, the inherent socialism, which has always existed within indigenous societies. Fantastic points all around, my friend. Um, it's really crucial to recognize that if we're able to build this base, we have a genuine foundation for essentially a new world, a world that people have no understanding of because they're so bogged down in this disgusting and immoral and inhumane day-to-day -day life that they live today. Even something as simple as, you know, full-time work and what it takes to really make an income to survive consuming almost is you know 60 70 percent of your day-to-day -day life or you know in in the case of um 
exploited and oppressed people all over the world far more and for pennies on the dollar, uh, especially outside of the borders of the U.S. empire where um, the imperialism is, you know, just as uh, ample and, and as energetic as ever, but even more so the, the people uh, are really beginning to resist. They're really beginning to um, struggle against this system all over the all over the world, I think, in Latin America, in Africa, and in Asia, there are all kinds of groups of people who really are taking what you've spoken about and, and applying it. And as you mentioned, there are organizations such as the Red Nation who are doing that here on Turtle Island as well. And we need to plug into that. Yeah. Um, so connecting with that, um, I'd like to ask you, you know, this is kind of a run on question, so allow me to do that. But what is it that you really find is missing in some cases for most of the ongoing organizing uh, here on Turtle Island and in the West? Um, and uh, how are things like community and human connection deeply uprooted within the settler colonial society? Um, as well as adding to that, uh, you know, following up with that question, what are some movements, people groups, or organizations that we ought to be learning from and looking to for guidance and leadership? Yeah, that's a that's a, a multifaceted <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, so what what I find missing in settler society in imperial um, America is um, any kind of sense of um, community or um, kinship, relationality. The, you know, American dream is based on individualism and individual success and individual um, earnings and you know what can an individual do and then there's the tired old trope of pulling oneself up by the one's bootstraps which we know now from um looking at the the income disparity in in this so-called united states and how you know who was it that that profited from the pandemic well jeff bezos for one um, because everybody was, was, uh, ordering from Amazon and, um, individual, individualism is the antithesis of community. So in order to have community, you have to have kinship, but in order to have kinship, you have to care about, um, the person who's next to you, the person who's in front of you. And we don't, we don't see that. We don't even see it modeled by, um, by the government. Um, we see hyper-individualism. We see a denial of, of any kind of, of socialism um, at a government level, which is, which is amusing when you look at the fact that roads and fire departments and all of that are, are socialist endeavors um, 
but you can't, what I find challenging with other organizations, with other um, uh, activist organizations and um, the not-for-profit industrial complex is that they're trying to um, fit into this greater model of um, capitalism that is um, the uh, that is really the the backbone of United States imperialism, and you can't exist within that system. It we're not looking to fix this system. We're looking to abolish this system it completely. And I've gotten into trouble saying this multiple times um, because um, you know you're not you're not supposed to to uh, say things like this um, in uh, public media. But when when we're talking about burn it all down, um, it's not a it's not a call for arson. It's a call for decolonization and it's, you can't fix the imperial capitalist system that is the United States. You have to burn it all down. You have to start over and starting over with something as simple as recognizing that the only thing that's ever going to create a just um, and fair world where every human being and all of our non-human relatives can live in dignity and peace is by recognizing that we have to take care of one another and that we have to recognize the community and we have to recognize the mutual care and we have to recognize that, that our ability to caretake one another is the only way we're going to survive. Uh, and, and I don't think that a lot of uh, activist organizations think about that. They think about trying to fix um, part of this part of this system um, one piece at a time without realizing that it's a giant monster with so many tentacles that the only way you're going to be able to fix it is by killing it. And once it's gone and and all of the tentacles have been gathered up and thrown in the fire, then we can start over. Um, but until then, you know, you can't fix, you can't vote the correct people into office. Um, brown faces in high places are not going to save us. Um, and, and, you know, if, if, uh, if you want to know, you know, a a blueprint on how to do this than read the Red Deal, which was the book that that uh, the Red Nation as a collective wrote and um, was published last April. And it, it talks about, uh, we talk about it in the book that um, politicians can't do what only mass movements can do. And that is all of the people together can change um, what, what the reality is, not only across Turtle Island, but all over the world, it's, it is um, power to the people and the people have to rise and the people have to demand what is our right um, as 
earthlings, as people who live on this planet, which is to live a dignified, um, a dignified life in peace, caretaking our relatives, um, both human and non-human, and caretaking the earth. That's the only way we're going to survive this. And if we don't do it, and we don't do it soon, then we're all going to perish. We're all going to perish together because right now we're staring down the barrel of, you know, a 30-year gun. And if we don't reverse climate change, if we don't start taking care of our mother earth, then we have no future. And not only do we have no future, but we're taking everything with us. Like that's the really tragic part of it is that we don't have a right to destroy this planet, but we have the means and we're doing it. So much, so much to hit on there. Uh, two things. One, I absolutely love every single time on the show when you bring up that you've gotten in trouble for saying burn it down. <laughs> I love that you have to give the little uh, disclaimer. We are not advocates of arson here on the show. Um, no. But no, it's it's true. And then the second thing I really wanted to hit on real quick is right there at the end, you know, we don't have the right, but we have the means and we're doing it. I love the way you put that. Uh, but there are active movements across the world. I'm thinking here of Bolivia with their Cochabamba agreement. Yeah. I'm thinking also of plenty of indigenous and African communities across the continent who are developing with the aid of nations like China sustainably and in a uh, fashion that does not lead to the pollution and destruction of land and of life and of water as capitalism and imperialism have to this point. So these are some things I would offer for folks to keep in mind to check out. And of course, as you mentioned, please, everybody needs to not only read the Red Deal, but they need to put it into practice because that is quite uh, clearly what the, the book was written as. It was a guide to action. Um, yeah. That is quite literally the name of the book and the intention is there throughout the entire thing me and uh, a little online uh, propaganda like social media group I was working with early on in the pandemic I uh, was lucky enough to be able to get them to each go through it and we were able to do a group study on that and that was again like I said in the beginning monumental leaps and jumps I made after reading that in my understanding of not only what's going on, but what the hell we need to be doing. Um, and, uh, you know, we really, we really don't need, like this podcast is great. I'm very happy to be able to speak with you. We really don't need to be having this discussion to be doing the organizing that needs to be done. Um, I think a lot of people who focus on, uh, you know, content and focus on, you know, absorbing information for the sake of absorbing information get caught in this echo chamber. And I think that that's really detrimental to the movement because there are a lot of people who are sympathetic, like actually helping people, but they'd rather watch YouTube videos about people who helped people 60, 70 years ago than go out and try to do it right now, which, you know, you got to take the lessons first before you can act on it. But there is a certain point where theory does need to be applied into action. Um, would you like to add anything there before we move on to the next question? 
I mean, that's absolutely true. And, and you can read and, and we, you know, in the Red Nation, we do, um, we do require that um, our, our members have a certain understanding of, um, you know, political development and um, political, um, different political viewpoints. Um, but that's basically um, to be able to discuss uh, why we do what, what we do and to defend why we do what we do. But really um, what we're advocating for is it's as simple as you see someone in front of you who needs something and you help them. That's what we do. That's what we're about. And that's the number one uh, most important thing. And then, of course, you know, then we segue into land back <laughs> because <laughs> that would be um, one of the first steps towards liberation is land back. And um, first you help the person who's right in front of you and then you start working for land back. 100%. And yes, this show and, you know, people who are calling for land back do mean all the land back. They mean <laughs> they mean it exactly how you're, you're th- <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like people, yep. I go on TikTok probably more than I should. And I love the content creators that are on there doing great work. But the amount of times they have to make the same video just to explain to some you know, commenter or someone like, yes, this is what we mean. The 30 other mm-hmm. videos I've made about it, go check them out. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I mean, just kind of shifting gears here, jumping back to what we were talking about in the beginning with depression and things like that. I know for myself and plenty of people that I discuss, you know, just life with, you know, my friends, my coworkers, etc. We're all dealing with incredible amounts of anxiety and depression Um, So many folks, unfortunately, are also dealing with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, dealing with uh, abuse and all kinds of awful situations that really are not given any kind of support or help um, at all. But, you know, in some cases, there are things that we can begin to do about that. So I wanted to ask you, you know, for yourself, throughout this period of time, Um, how is it that you've really been able to kind of take those things on and inspire in yourself some, some revolutionary hope with the, uh, you know, the want to get back to, to fighting strength. And if I can ask you to just give a little definition here, what is revolutionary hope and why is it important? Revolutionary hope is the belief that we can succeed and that we have to succeed because um and melanie and i had this had this conversation when we were talking about hope is indigenous um the story yeah the story can't end so we're we're raised on stories we're raised from the time that we're very young um hearing stories from our elders and um everything from, um, you know, how we came to be, um, who our, who our um, ancestors were, um, to how the, the moon and the sun were created and the trees and the animals, 
all the way to the scary stories, which are supposed to, you know, keep us in line. Um, and then the stories are passed on from one generation to the next. And we continue that tradition of telling stories. And sometimes we'll add a few, you know, the scary stories in particular, um, you add a few, um, but you also add a twist, you know, to some of the other stories and the stories can't end. So we, we can't conceive of a future without these stories in them. So therefore, we have to, to um, hold on to that hope that we can change the, the outcome of the trajectory of what looks like it's going to happen now. And the only way that we can do that is to find ourselves in communion with, with Mother Earth and with the other um, living beings. And um, by sharing kinship, and, and Melanie and I both talk about the trees and being out in nature and being amongst the trees and knowing that there are elders and that they've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and that they've seen um, time and they've seen climate change and they've seen people come and go, but they're still there. And we have to believe that our communities are like the trees, that we have seen the coming of, um, you know, European invasion. We have seen the diseases, we have seen uh, the massacres and we're still here. And that's the hope that we hold on to is that this is, this is just another um, trial that we have to live through in order to find liberation and ultimately um, find our way back to the center place, which is kinship and relationality and caring for one another. And in that way, I think um, hope is indigenous it's 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 part of it's part of our culture but it's also the thing that we have held on to for the last 500 years yeah so incredibly inspiring i try as much as i can to bring up to folks on the show how important it is to um, learn from the indigenous struggles that have been going on for generations upon generations not only here on turtle island but as we know across the world colonialism and imperialism have led to much suffering uh, and much of uh, very similar forms and relations uh, that lead to a de deterioration of our own relations. Um, yeah. it's, it's difficult to imagine that all of the things that have, uh, you know, come and, and attacked indigenous communities um, would have uh, had the strength to do so if it had not actively, uh, you know, essentially destroyed entire people groups, um, taken entire uh, communities off of the map um, and, and simply just separating, isolating and, and torturing people and, and bringing people to the brink of hopelessness. And yet, as you've said, not only are indigenous people still here, I would like to stress this point, not only are indigenous people <laughs> still here, 
but they are actively leading the struggles around the world. I'm thinking of Palestine. Again, I brought up Bolivia. We're talking about all across um, the African continent. It is indigenous communities who are having to really play what communists and socialists might call the vanguard role because Mm -hmm. it is, of course, the most exploited and oppressed people who will benefit the most from liberation and who have the most liberatory and revolutionary hope and potential. This has been true across countless Marxists, socialists, anarchists. It doesn't matter what you know tendency you come from. The true fact of the matter is the people who are suffering are, of course, going to know how best to end that suffering um, and the most inclined to do so because we might be able to say, well, the oppressor knows quite well. But that doesn't mean that they're going to stop and they haven't. So we have to quit depending on this uh, idealistic notion that, like you brought up, voting in uh, a savior is not possible. There is no savior coming from Washington. There is no savior coming from these settler colonial nations. And there is no you know, savior coming under the uh, you know, economic basis of capitalism and imperialism we have to as you said burn it down we have to vanquish the foe we have to take the ashes and we have to create anew because at this point in time there is no other option there there plainly isn't as you say in the red deal it's uh you know socialism and, and indigenous you know revolution or in any case uh extinction and yeah. so if we do not take that to heart and really act upon that. Uh, I personally feel that when folks like George Jackson say that not only is it the oppressor's fault when things do not change, but it is also the supposed vanguard groups who um, are not given enough support, are isolated, are constantly under fire, and are incapable in that situation to really lead a fight alone. And so if we know these things, If we're listening to this podcast, you know, if you're here right now having, uh, you know, the time to enjoy this conversation, you need to get involved in yourself. However we can, we need to be joining uh, groups that are, you know, doing mutual aid work. We need to be uh, studying um, the history of, you know, uh, resistance movements and things like that to be able to properly uh, prepare ourselves. We need to be building kinship and community so as to be able to disseminate not only this knowledge, but also the mutual aid. And we need to take that a step further and give people the tools, the knowledge, and the ability, as well as the support, to liberate themselves, to free themselves from this situation. So that's, you know, just a little point I wanted to make. Um, and if you would like to add anything, Uh, You can, but I I figure we'll probably have to close out here with this next question. So if you'd like to say anything, I'd love to hear it. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, across the world, um, indigenous communities, indigenous groups have always been the tip of the spear. And it's because we know because of our, um, our 
ideals um, of kinship and relationality, we know that we can't be free until everyone is free. So we know that we have kin in, in Palestine. We have relatives in the global South and you know, we really do have relatives in the global South because my ancestors traveled um, between um, the Southwest all the way down to South America many millennia before Europeans ever invaded um, Turtle Island. So we know we have relatives down there. It's not just, um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's actual um, migratory um, routes that our ancestors took. We have relatives in Palestine because we know they're struggling with the same thing that we are. And we have relatives in Africa because they are also struggling with the after effects of settler colonialism. So we have to be the tip of the spear. And we also know that we all, we, we can't be free until everyone is free. So we are related in that way. Beautifully put. Um, if I could just going, we got about five minutes here. I'd love to hear off the top of your head, whatever you have, you know, what are some, some movements, some, some efforts, some organizations that people ought to get involved in? Um, the one I would like to stress that I personally have been lucky enough to be able to get involved with is the free Leonard Peltier campaign. Um, I believe it was announced today. I saw Nick Estes post about it that uh leonard has uh contracted covid um this is a serious serious situation considering the man is 77 years old has had to endure rounds of solitary confinement mental and physical exhaustion poor food you know uh, lack of human connection as we've been talking about in one of his most recent letters he says you know he he yearns for the time when food is brought because he he gets to see a human being that's disgusting no one should yeah. live that reality so yeah. maybe going from that what are some others that uh people need to be involved with um i think depending on on where you are in um across turtle island um united american indians of new england which is based out of boston um if you're in the West, definitely the Red Nation and K Info Shop, which is um, in the capital of the Navajo Nation in Window Rock. Um, anything that you can do wherever you are to get involved with something that um, that is mutual aid oriented, action oriented. Um, to helping people um, who are struggling with um, being unsheltered and um, helping people who um, need food, who need transportation. Um, we live in, in um, a country with a government that doesn't care. Um, you know, if you, if you look at um, how other uh, governments view the United States, um, you know, they, they think we're a joke. We don't have healthcare um, for our citizens. We do, I mean, these are, these are basic human needs that our government is unable to, um, to uh, provide. So, you know, if you can't find an organization that's near you, 
volunteer at a free clinic, um, volunteer um, to, you know, serve food to, to um, um, people who are unsheltered. And remember that, um, you know, doing that kind of work means setting aside your own, um, you know, preconceived notions about um, what it means to be quote unquote homeless. Some of these people choose this life and that's not any of our business. Um, you offer to help people because they need help um, giving them what they need to be given, not what you think they should have. So that's a very important point to make. Um, but anything that helps people live a more dignified life. Um, if you can find an organization in, you know, in your community that does that, that's what I would recommend. And at the same time, you know, start reading your, your, uh, your Karl Marx and start thinking about why it is that um, this government is so afraid of socialism and why communism and communist countries are so feared because they do something that this government, that, that this state has never been able to do, which is care for its own people. And that's, that's community, that's relationality, that's kinship. And we don't have it in this state, in these United States. Not even in small tidbits like uh, Zaccato brought up that, you know, for example, churches are oftentimes the leaders of some of these actions. Like, for example, in my hometown, the only food pantries are church-led food pantries. But if they're giving out food, go there, help out, and find ways to get involved otherwise as well. Because you don't need to be spouting. You don't even need to be spouting off communist shit if you don't need to. You just need to be there helping people. And, right, and, and just... And point out, you know, sort of in a whisper that Jesus was a communist. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> And not white. <laughs> and not white. He was a Jewish communist and who who uh, um, whose basic life was dedicated to helping the poor and the sick um, and um, other underprivileged, homeless, um, unsheltered people um find you know community Incredible. so comrade jesus yep <laughs> well hey i have to say yet again it was an honor speaking with you i really enjoyed this conversation would you like to say anything going before we close out yep just um get out there help your community um establish kinship um Remember that it's up to us. We cannot depend on the state. And um, it is right now um, very, very important because um, decolonization or extinction, that's where we are right now. Thank you so much. So excited to speak with you again. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I uh, hope that you enjoyed this. It was really such an honor for me. Um, if you would like, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, please go over to the Red Media 
uh, Patreon and give what it is that you can. Uh, please also consider uh, donating money to the Wet Sweatin' folks uh, who are in desperate need of many things. Feel free to donate to any of the indigenous nations um, and peoples of Turtle Island. Uh, please also check out the Red Condor Collective, who is doing a lot of work in Colombia. Um, but anyways, folks, again, thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to, uh, you know, let me know what you thought of the show. Please feel free to reach out. Reach out also to Elena and the Red Nation and just about any organization that is in your area and try to get involved however you can. Um, But again, thank you so much for listening. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay sane. Stay safe. And stay revolutionary. We'll see you next time, folks. Peace.